All right, so good morning everyone. Thank you for coming today. Um, we are going to see Mark chapter 13 verses uh, 1 through 27. Uh, let's uh, begin with a, a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the sufficient uh, health and energy that you give us all. So we are here. We pray that you may Help us to focus on your word and uh, to understand what it means to remember and to see how it applies. And uh, Lord, we we ask for your mercy, your help, and uh, we, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, your son, who is coming back to restore all things. Amen. Amen. So last week we saw the... Um, the, the Olivet Discourse, that's the Discourse of uh, Jesus on the Mount of Olives. And um, I was not able to really cover as much as I wanted. And I also got the sense that it was a little bit uh, of a lot of content. And uh, um, so I wanted to revisit the section and then really take a different approach where we are going to talk about what I presented last week, but we are also going to go through the passage verse by verse and we will have a lot of questions so you can look into the text for yourself and then uh, see um, see what the text actually says and so I think you will be able to remember more that way all right so I will make maybe make one little graph from last week so last week I, I tried to explain that um, it's always hard for people at all times to understand prophecy for two reasons. We don't know what the people oftentimes that are referred to really are. Who are they? What are the persons? And the second is that we may see some events like today we'll see earthquakes. And we, we get that. We know what an earthquake is. The question is when? And so the prophets of old, First Peter 1, they didn't understand the persons or the times, and we are in the same challenge. So last week what I did, I focused on the when. Because in fact, the reason why I did that is that the meaning of the text is changed if you have a different view on the when. And so last week I presented a case as to why the text uh, pertains to the future. And uh, so you might remember three different views. One is that the whole passage belongs to the past in 70 AD. Uh, another view is that the whole passage belongs to the future. And, and yet another view, which is multifaceted, is that it's a hybrid between past and future events. And so I presented the case that uh, um, it's going to be, and I, I'll draw that later. Um, so we go through the questions. But first, let's, uh, let's go back to the, the text. We will read. Mark 13, verses 1 through 27. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. <coughs> All right, so Mark 13, starting in verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? They will not be left here, one stone upon another, that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, 
Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of walls and rumors of walls, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not, not yet. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues, in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. For alas, women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heaven, in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson as soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves you know that summer is near so also when you see these things taking place you know that he is near at the very gate truly i say to you this generation will not pass away until all these things take place heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away 
But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his word, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What a text. So first, what are the questions that the disciples ask Jesus? And you can take a look at Matthew 24, verse 3 as well. What are the questions? Signs of times. The signs of times. Yes, but there, there are more specific details about uh, the sign part. When? When? So Jesus just said, you see those stones? And they were like massive stones, just so heavy and large, you, you even wonder how, how come they put a stone there, you know? It was huge, like the size of a bus. Um, and Jesus says, this is all coming down. And they say, when? So they want to know when Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Okay, and then I heard something about signs, so can we elaborate? What are the signs? Okay, so in Matthew 24 it says, the sign of your coming, and then the sign of the end of the age. Okay, so they they are asking for is is there something specific that's going to happen that's going to indicate to us that something else is coming soon, right? So they want to know signs, and as we read, we'll hear about specific things that are happening that are unusual, and then we will hear also Jesus saying, "When you see." So he's referring to their question. How can we know this is going to happen? Well, you'll see something specific, and that's when you know this is about to happen. What? Well, what he was asked. The sign of his coming, the sign of the end of the world. Okay, uh, so then, with that in mind, he's going to address their questions as he speaks, right? So second question, what are the main two themes of the Olivet Discourse? Tribulation. Tribulation. Yep. Be careful of false. Yeah, that's true. I would I would put this one and many other uh, smaller items all in that tribulation part. Okay. That's what makes it a tribulation. There will be people who are deceiving, mm. right? Um, and what's the second piece? It's back to the question, really. Nobody knows for sure, or the time. Nobody knows for sure. I would say the second the second theme is like the coming. Okay. So he's you know they are asking when is gonna when is it gonna be destroyed and what is the sign of your coming. So he talks about the coming and he talks about the time that is really challenging that precedes his coming. So I would say the two themes are like the the tribulation, which is the major one. I mean it covers most of the text, but then it's like but wait, Jesus comes back at the end and he makes everything right. Um, so according to Mark 13, verses 5 through 8, 
What is the expression that is used by Jesus to describe the initial period of time that precedes his coming? The birth pains. Who, who can read again for us verse 8? For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. There are but the beginning of they these are but the beginning of birth pains. Thank you. So remember, he's asked when, because that's always the trouble. When is that going to happen? How are we going to know? And so he describes things, and he says, "But wait, wait, wait! Don't think this is it. Like this is not the end. This is just the beginning." Right? He says, this is not yet the end, multiple times. This is not yet the end, the one who endures till the end. But this is just the beginning. So we have many um, ladies here. Who would like to describe birth pains? I just thought about that. I thought it would be perhaps a little bit helpful, especially for us men and also for the children. See, what is that about? Someone who wants to volunteer and talk about that. I would say uh, it starts with ways like uh, at the beginning, you don't actually know what's happening because uh, during the pregnancy, you suffer a little, like you have ligament pains that's like pain here and here. So when the birth pain really uh, starts, you don't know if it's like real. Um, so you just wait to see, like if it increases. This is the only way to know if it's real, if, the, if there's going to be a birth or not. Does it increase? Because if it stops, then you know that it wasn't. So at the beginning, you're just like, it hurts, but it's uh -huh. not, it might or might be. It might not or might be. And I remember now that when we had uh, uh, our children, you would you would like time, mm. the space between the the the, the pains, pain. right? Yeah. As the baby is approaching the the due uh, dates, so to speak. Um, you, you time like okay it's becoming like just less than before it's this is changing right so this is the idea that the baby uh, is growing growing but at some point there is really like the birth pain and it escalates until there's the birth there's something good that comes out of it but it's it's not immediately it takes time okay so uh, last week what I did uh, and I did that for myself. I thought, what are the different time indicators that are listed in the passage and, and what can I find in the scriptures to help me understand when that is supposed to happen? And it turns out the beginning of birth pains or the theme of birth pains in the New Testament, it's uh, almost exclusively speaking of uh, Jesus' second coming. So, for example, if you may turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we see a parallel passage there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says this. And, and you'll recognize the, the, diff the similar themes. Um, with um, the Olivet Discourse that we just read with the first few verses, starting in verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
So uh, in the different parallel accounts of the Olivet Discourse, it talks about the Lord coming like a thief in the night. You don't know if it's at midnight, in the morning, you have no idea. And it says, you don't know the day or the hour. Here it says, you don't know. I'm not going to write to you about the times of season because you know that he's coming like a thief. You don't know when. So that's the same theme. And then um, in verse 3, while well, people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And then it talks about, you know, let's read it actually. But you are not of dark, in darkness, brothers, that that day, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for your old children of light, children of the day, you are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And you see the different themes that are continuing. And then it talks about the coming of Christ, which is also mentioned in the passage that just precedes. Um, so here is what I found, tracking this, this word, uh, Odin in the Greek. Um, Jesus is using it in Matthew 24, 8. All these are the beginning of sorrows or birth pains. It has the two connotations. And, uh, and, and then it's used also of Jesus Christ in Acts 2.24. It says, Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death. The same word here. Because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so the idea is that Christ, he suffered those pains. Those pains when the judgment comes and he was under the judgment of God for all sins. And then and then he was raised and he inherited the kingdom. That's what the text says eventually. He was he sat down and so on. So the idea here is that there will be sorrows and pains that are preceding his coming, but then there will be the birth of the, the kingdom when Christ comes and, and takes not the spiritual throne that he took after the resurrection, but um, the physical one. And in the Old Testament, um, Almost all the texts that are speaking about birth pains, except for Isaiah 13:8, which is about the Babylonian captivity, they talk about this uh, theme. Uh, Isaiah 26:17, Jeremiah 30 verse 6, Micah 4. In fact, it's fascinating if you read those those passages. You can read like Isaiah 24 through 26, and you'll see something looks like an expansion of what we're reading. Talks about tribulation with Jerusalem being left desolate, and then the Christ coming and and, and his kingdom. Really very similar uh, language there. Another thing I'll add, you know, when I was studying, I saw people saying, Well, this is the church age. The beginning of birth pains is the church age. Right? So you remember the, the hybrid view where it's not all future, but some of it is right now, some of it is in the past, some of it is in the future. So I, I had to entertain the idea is is that right now? Is that, you know, the, the earthquakes are happening and then wars are happening, nations against nations, and is that the birth pains right now? And, and it's not yet the end, so we don't know the end, when it will be. And um, I, don't, I, I don't think it is. Uh, here is why. And here is the best argument for why it could be. People say, I mean, that's what I said. Well, look, it says, creation groans, awaiting for the revealing of the sons of God in Romans 8. They are the, there is the birth pains in creation. It says creation groans with those birth pains. So I thought, and it's a different Greek word, but I thought, well, you could fathom that somehow creation is having those, those events and that it's uh, slowly showing that something is, is not right and eventually there will be the birth of the kingdom. But here is why I don't think that's correct. One, creation 
is in view in Romans 8. And the, the birth pains, they started since the fall. So since the fall, creation groans. Creation is, is waiting in hope for the revealing of the sons of men when Christ comes and he restores creation. And so this, crea this groaning of Romans 8, it started right after the fall. And of course, in our text, it says, from Jesus' standpoint, he says, in the future, there will be the beginning of birth pains. That's not the same thing. It has not started since creation. It was going to start in the future. The second thing is that in Mark 13, the, the birth pains, they are the birth pains of, of people, right? So believers, Jewish believers especially, are in view. And so that's different from the creation birth pains. Uh, we will see this passage again in, um, in the... Um, in the next section with uh, Jeremiah 30. So I, I'll, I'll hold on to this one. I'll mention something else. Can I, can I yeah. throw a question here? Mark 13, verse 8. Uh -huh. Do you think there could be a distinction between the birth pains and the beginning of the birth pains? The birth pains and the beginning. In other words, pains. like if we're <coughs> going to use the illustration of labor, right? At least in the modern era, we distinguish between contractions and labor. Like you can have contractions and you can go to the doctor and they'll say, well, you're not actually in labor and go back home. And a couple days later, the contractions begin and then labor follows. So do you think it's possible that the things like nations rising against nation, earthquakes, various places, famines, that when Jesus says these are but the beginning of the birth pains, he's not actually saying those are the birth pains. They're just precursors to it. Or is that too no, much? No, I think uh, I, I think the text is basically saying like the birth pains is like a period. I don't know for the woman it will be two weeks maybe before the baby is born, maybe three weeks, and it's definitely within that period. But it's just at the beginning, so people don't think okay, so he's really just about to come. You know, there is still like several weeks of uh, suffering coming up. Um, that's that's what I would say. The reason I say that is also because of the the text. Um, so the the parallel between Revelation, it says in Revelation, just like here, that there will be famines and wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and terrors. Um, and and the way the way I see this is that, and we're kind of answering the next question here. But he says there will be signs in the heavens, and in the Bible, signs they are never something that happens and then you're like oh jesus may be coming back in a hundred years a thousand years you know it's like a sign but it's not a sign really because there's nothing that tells us anything is going to happen soon anytime there is a sign in the bible like a miraculous sign it's always shortly before the reality comes so for example jesus would um he would open the eyes of a blind man and right after he would say i am the light of the world he would say, he would, you know, uh, resurrect Lazarus, and then he would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He would just feed thousands, and then he would say, I am the bread of life. Same with speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, Acts 4, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, it says, it's a sign, not to believers, but to unbelievers. And then he quotes Isaiah 28, which is uh, concerning unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem. And so the, the speaking in tongues sign was a sign to unbelieving Israel. And when you look at the actual sign occurring in the book of Acts, uh, you see that uh, there is speaking in tongues, which was speaking in a foreign language you never heard before, uh, in praising God. And then the Jews were right there and they saw, and they were like, what is this? People are drunk or 
and they were surprised and then the sign was interpreted by Peter or somebody else and, and they said no that's because the Holy Spirit is given not just to the Jews but also to the Gentiles who speak all the languages of the world and so God is not going to save only Israel he's going to save a multi-ethnic church and the point is this sign it was showing that the Holy Spirit was going to be given and the Spirit was given and then as it says in 1 Corinthians 13 tongues ceased so the, the sign was a miracle to point to something greater than the miracle itself and when this greater thing comes the sign is gone it's like going to Phoenix you see the signs when you're in Phoenix there's no more sign Phoenix because you're there and so there you have all those signs that are showing just right there right there Jesus is coming back and uh, when Jesus is there no more famines no more wars no more rumors of wars no more false prophets just peace right and to me that's really a key thing is that the text even in the birth pains the text in um, in the Luke in the account of Luke in the same section it says and there will be terrors and great signs in the heavens so that's it for me that's really the key all those things they are called signs there are signs happening and if there are signs happening it's gotta be something that shortly precedes a greater spiritual reality and, and of course you know if you think about it earthquakes they're happening all the time right I mean just recently just terrible earthquakes and uh, and wars as well so for that to be signifying anything for people to even think this is the beginning of something terrible it will have to be escalated to like Donaire said right about the birth pains it will have to be just so intense and more, more um, uh, you know more closely spaced in time that people realize there is something coming that's different from what we have seen for the nine months of pregnancy for the thousands of years of church history so that it's actually a sign um, oh another thing <coughs> So yeah, I just mentioned this one. And then um, the contextual expression labor pains versus the end, because it talks about beginning, this is not yet the end, implies the birth and best fits a short period of time. Okay, so let's continue. Um, we kind of talked about it. I, I did answer some of it, but what are the aspects of this uh, period of the beginning of birth pains that you see in the text, things that you know are in the text if we can look at it again you're talking about like verse 8 kingdom rising against kingdom yeah yeah kingdom rising against kingdom uh, nations against nations so you're gonna have war in the future between two nations over there two nations over here but not only that you will have wars between coalitions of nations and that, that's the future According but to that text, already like a coalition of nations right now. Yeah, they are, um, but it's going to become even worse. They, they call it one world government. Yeah, there, there is that. Uh, so we may talk a little bit about that too. What what else do we see in the text? Famine. Famines, and it says famines in various places. So it's not just in Israel <coughs> with Jerusalem surrounded by an army. In different texts it says famines in various places so it's going to be like worldwide there will be issues with food and then of course we realize there are earthquakes there are natural disasters so what's going to happen it's going to disrupt the food the food supply so people are going to suffer there will be wars, so there will be embargoes we're not selling you any food anymore right 
So it's all gonna happen. It's 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 not gonna be pretty. Something else. Yes, we can even continue down to verse 13, in fact. Yeah, tr trials, persecution. Persecution. And, and uh, <clears throat> so th there are different schools of thoughts about, you know, who will be in that era. But uh, at the very least, we see Jesus speaking to Jews, talking about synagogues, talking about, um, talking to them. And saying, you will be led captives among all the nations. So obviously, he's talking specifically to the Jews. So the Jews are going to be persecuted in ways that are going to be just horrendous. But there will be also Gentiles who are converted, will be obviously in Jerusalem, but all, all over the world. And so you will have just this massive persecution. It's already happening in many countries. Uh, not as bad as this will get, uh, perhaps, but um, it's going to escalate. <laughs> For my sake, so obviously he's not talking just to Israel, he's talking to Christians who believe in him. Yes, yes, so one, one, so there will be, uh, there will be Christians who are from Jewish background and who are from Gentile background, and there will also be rebellious Jews who just do not want to accept their Messiah, and uh, they will go through that. And the text even says, parents are going to betray children and friends will betray each other right so what you're gonna have is just all over again first century things you will have unbelieving jews persecuting believing jews and it's going to be very bad christians who are from those different backgrounds like i said jewish christians uh, they are going to be persecuted and put to death the text says put to death by their own countrymen but they will bear witness to Christ. So the key, ah, the key command that God had for Israel in the Old Testament was, you are going to be a beacon of light for the world. And they refused. They didn't want to be with the Gentiles. They disobeyed God. They sought to be justified by what they did. They, they majored on the minors. But at that time, slowly Israel is going to rise from the ashes, so to speak, and they will be... Uh, light to the world. So there is this text in Matthew 10 23 that really um, it confuses everyone. But it, one school of thought is particularly confused. And here is the text Matthew 10 23. When they persecute you, Jesus speaking to the Jews, in one time flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the times of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Uh, D.A. Um, Carson calls that text, he's a renowned theologian, one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament. See, he's saying to the Jews, you're going to go evangelize in all the towns of Israel, and before you're done with all the towns, I will be back. And so, why did he say that to the first century? So one, one explanation that I believe is, is, is the right explanation is that Israel, when Jesus came, they were supposed to embrace their Messiah and receive the kingdom. But they just rejected him. And so the kingdom was given to others. It was given to the church. And so what God had in store, uh, and of course it was all in the predetermined plan of God, he wanted them to receive the Messiah and talk about him everywhere. And they just refused. And so 
This is going to happen in the future when Israel is persecuted, but they are going to share the gospel. They are going to be sharing the gospel um, in all the world. People will be sharing the gospel, but also in Israel. And before they are done in Israel, as they are being killed left and right, and they flee to one town to the next, Jesus is going to come back. That really explains those different passages, although it's really mysterious since it's in the future and you dab over the passage, but uh, I think this really accounts for the facts that we're seeing here. But Jonas, yes. Uh, I feel like verse um, 9 through 13 uh -huh. has already been accomplished because he's talking to the, to the disciples here. Uh, and when we go to Acts and the letters, we see that that's exactly what happened. But see it to yourselves. For they will deliver you to the courts. <coughs> exactly what happened to the disciples. And you will be beaten in the synagogues. That's what happened. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake. Hey, Paul, in front of Caesar, um, for my sake, named Jesus Christ, as witness to them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That's exactly what happened when Paul uh, and um, went to all uh, the Mediterranean world. And he broke the nations, and that's exactly what's happening. Thanks to disciples um, through us today, right? And when they will lead you, they lead you away, delivering you up to not read beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not to you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Hey, Stephen, in front of the Jews, exactly what happened. He told them, I gave them a whole uh, sermon. And brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and help them go to death. That's exactly what happened to the disciples. So I kind of feel like it's like he's taking a pause here, and he's taking, talking directly to the disciples, and that's going to happen to you. And after that pause, he goes back to, but when you see the abomination of desolation, now pay attention. So all this is going to happen to you. It's not yet the yeah. pain and all, everything. That's what's not happening to you right now. But when you see the desolation of the abomination of desolation, now pay attention. And that goes back to the apocalyptic era. Okay, so you, you, you just heard, right? She said, well, that certainly looks like 70 AD, first century um, fulfillment, right? She said that. And, and the way people would frame that, they would say, see, it says, your faith is famous in all the world. That's the text. And then the gospel has been preached in the whole world, meaning the whole Roman world or the known world. So people will say, well, that's all something that happened in, in 70 AD. So you see how this is not easy when you dig down to see the different views are like, oh man, there are some arguments right there. And like, this sure looks like, I mean, that that's possible. When you just look at this, you're like, well, it's possible. But the thing is this, there's the greater text. There's the whole thing. And you have to, because as I said last week, you can take a passage in Mark and you can make Mark and Matthew, just theoretically, fit one view. But when you go to Luke, that doesn't match. You can take one section and make it fit one view, but you have to make the whole, the whole passage fit. And of course, why is that challenging? Well, because Jerusalem, according to what I'm presenting, is not going to be destroyed just one time. It's going to be destroyed in 70 AD, but also right before Christ comes back. And so, of course, we're going to have things that already look like they happened because there are similarities. And so that's why it's difficult. Then there's even a view that says, 
And I'm still, I'm still trying to find if this view is uh, something that we can confidently say, say is the intent of the text. There is even a view that says 70 AD was a foreshadowing of the return of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, a short-term partial fulfillment of the future. So there is that. Regardless, we can see that 70 AD has some similarities. There's no doubt. Now the question is, is the whole passage tied together or can we segment it like you said well the beginning of birth pains 70 AD but when you see future fair question okay so uh, what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna go through the whole text and this answer will will come all right uh, I will still say that um, you could argue the gospel has not been proclaimed to all the nations yet right that's that's what other, the other view says the gospel has not been proclaimed in all the nations yet and then of course real, uh, real quick though yeah. could could you say there possibly that Pentecost actually is kind of a fulfillment of that like one of the one of the features of Pentecost is this idea that the gospel is now for all people right it's sort of an undoing even of Babel You've right. got one language divided, now you've got divided languages made one. So do you think it's possible to look at that verse and say, well, actually, Pentecost is kind of a fulfillment of that? I, I um, don't know. I'm just Yeah, so I, I've heard the view that, you know, there's Pentecost, and then when the Holy Spirit descends, it's like Christ coming, uh, just in the, in the spiritual sense of the Holy Spirit. Um, no, I don't think that's the case, because... Uh, it says Jesus will come, not the Holy Spirit. Right. It says parousia, which is the physical presence of Jesus Christ. That's not the Holy Spirit. And, um, and uh, you know, we are, let me tell you what we are about to see. We are about to see that there is the Son of Man and the second theme, as we said, which is even more pronounced verse-wise, is the tribulation. Last week we talked about why the Son of Man is really Jesus Christ. You know, I said, um, it says the parousia, the coming. And when you look at the word parousia in the New Testament, it's used of the second coming of Jesus. It's also used of the physical presence of disciples coming to a particular place because they are sent. So it's never just spiritual coming. It's always physical. And then we, we saw that in, in uh, Luke, 1730 which is a parallel passage it talks about the very same themes and the vultures and the coming of the son of man and the, the very same things we read he says the coming of the son of man parousia and then it says the revealing the one the son of man is revealed apocalypsis so he is using the term that is used for the revealing the revelation of jesus christ at the end and the same word is used of the antichrist when he's revealed in the temple when he sits in the temple and this is clearly a physical presence there's no doubt there he's revealing himself it's not um because he's the person revealed it's not like a theme being revealed or a revelation generally it's a person being revealed we we talked about uh the fact that false christs are coming it best fits with the actual christ coming the bodily presence of the false christ should not confuse us with the actual coming of uh, of jesus um and then there's the whole text where he comes with angels he comes and then the text says people come and they stand before him and he sits on his throne and so obviously people are actually going to stand before him it's not going to be just a shadow and uh and um 
and then he will judge the nations, there will be resurrections. All of that is clearly the future second coming of Jesus. I think the case is really compelling when you look at it. Now here's the thing. The question is, is this tied with that? And I, I have said it is absolutely tied with that because in Matthew it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, no space. It's not Mark saying immediately, immediately, immediately on every other page because he's just fast-paced. It's Matthew. Matthew says immediately because it's immediately after the tribulation of those days. In fact, this text also says after the tribulation of those days. So it's tied by the other one. And then at the end of the, the, the discourse, um, Jesus said, this generation will not pass away until you see all these things. The generation is 40 years. And he's saying all the things I've been describing to you. A generation will not pass away. Don't ask. A generation of 40 years will not pass away until all the things I described take place. What does that say? It means it's either all of it in 70 AD or it's all of it in the future. There's no way around it because you cannot squeeze this. This ties the two together. And that's, so this generation. And the reason is this is the sign of the end, the second coming, the destruction of Jerusalem. So there is even the, the whole reason as to why he mentions that, is that it immediately precedes to show that the Son of Man is coming. And then there's another one. The other one is this. He's quoting Daniel, and Daniel talks about the 70th week. And we'll read that, about that, because it will say, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot uh, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And when you go to Revelation 11 and 12, it says Jerusalem will be trampled for 1260 days or 42 months. That's half the seven year tribulation mentioned by Daniel. And we can even track it in Revelation and it ties it all together as seven years. So obviously what's gonna happen here is basically seven years. And then that's the beginning of birth pains. And that's the when you see that's the middle. And all of that is seven years. And that's, you know, Jerusalem being trampled underfoot for uh, 1260 days. And all of that just immediately precedes the coming. So that's the argument. That's, that's how I, I figured it out. Say, so, okay, at least is it the second coming of Jesus? If it's not, well, the whole thing is not now. That's finished. If it's the second coming of Jesus, then is that somehow just, uh, uh, you know, you can make it larger. And, and as I said, it's all tied. And when you look at the text, it's all future. And the reason why it's a little bit confusing is because some of it clearly represents what happens in church history, like walls and earthquakes and persecutions, and even like the destruction of Jerusalem. But this is going to be an, an, a whole different level. And he said, this is the great tribulation that will happen that, has, that is like the worst thing that has ever happened. And it will never again happen. So I kind of fast forwarded a little bit, but that's that's how the timeline is as a result in my view. So could we understand this uh, passage of uh, this eight to thirteen as like when we read a song and um, oh, okay. and we see that David says something and it's exactly what happened to him, but actually this is referring to Christ. Uh, should it be like the same thing here that happened to the disciples, but still like referring to future disciples? Um, like we are all disciples. I, 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 I understand why this view is entertaining, but I cannot possibly see it this way because I don't see any reason in the text to see it that way. Um, as I said, this generation, 
you cannot have you cannot have it both ways. Uh, if yes, I do, and I do want to answer something else you said. I kind of talked about it last week, but let me talk about it. So, well, he says you. You will be beaten. You will be kicked out. You, you, you. So then the argument is, well, it has to be the first century audience that, it's going to, uh, that is going to experience all those things. And therefore, it puts the whole thing back in 70 AD. And, and the answer is, it's very common, perhaps the most common feature of prophecy in the scripture, that you does not refer to the contemporaries of the prophecy, but is going to be seen by a future um, group of people. For example, in Isaiah 7:14, it says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. And the first audience never saw the virgin birth with the coming of Christ. It came 700 years later. And yet he says you, because it's very common in prophecies. In Deuteronomy 28, 36, and 49, it's talking about, you know, there is like the sermon where he says, Blessed blessed will you be blessed will you be if you obey and then he talks about the curses and the curses he says you will be you will be sent uh, in captivity uh, people you don't know will speak to you in a language you don't know he's talking about the captivity and they happened like much after uh, the first audience heard it the first audience never saw the fulfillment so it's very common that you know he says you Anybody who writes in the, in the scriptures and the first audience really is not the target audience about the fulfillment. And oftentimes, like in the case of Jesus, you know, they don't even know when the fulfillment is going to be. So even if they wanted, they couldn't tell you. Um, so Jesus in his humanity didn't know when he was going to come back. So if, in fact, by saying that it, uh, in his uh, humanity, it could have been that generation. It could have been much later. Uh, the text actually is not conclusive. Uh, about uh, about that. The second argument to say it's just all past is that um, it says this generation will not pass away. Uh, the Greek is genea, and uh, I will not go into the, the debate of what it means. I believe it's uh, fair to say it means a, a, a time of 40 years of uh, the generation of people who are within this generation. And uh, so the argument is, see, if you look into the New Testament, it says this generation of wicked people, or this generation, and he's always talking to the, the Jews of the time. So therefore, he must be talking to the Jews of the time as well. And that means that um, it was going to happen 40 years after he talked. And so it's like Jesus was uh, on the earth around 30 AD. 40 years later, you have Jerusalem destroyed in 70 AD. So the math looks like, wow, this is, this is uh, interesting. Um, but the reality is that Genea is not always used of the current generation. For example, in Hebrews 3, 9 and 10, it says, Where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation of Genea. And so in that case, it's a past generation Jews who um, were judged. And in the case of the Olivet Discourse, it's the generation that sees all the signs, which is a future generation. So it's really dictated by the context. Is it the current generation, past generation, future generation? It's just the text that determines everything. Little uh, note also here is that the uh, oistos or akenos translated this or that. It actually makes what no difference um, when it's like this generation, or that generation in the Greek. It's it's really not determinative. So the the key answer is this: when it says generation, it doesn't have to be the people who were in front of him. The context is going to determine: is it a past generation, a present generation, a future generation? And so again, it's inconclusive. What verse is this? 
this is in um this is in um Mark thirteen thirty. And the key is and I fully agree with the uh, the ones who are emphasizing that verse, uh, it just goes both ways. The verse in 30 says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And, and by the way, that's why Arsis Pro is forced to see the Son of Man as Christ coming in a judgment way that is not a physical way. Because if you see the Son of Man coming as the second coming, Guess what? It's no longer this generation that sees all the signs. And so, you know, that's why I said it's either all 70 AD or it's all future. But if you are to take that, that verse, uh, completely all these things, you cannot have it both ways. Okay, so we have to continue. What is the next big period that is described by Mark? Sorry, what's the next big what? Period. What's the name? What, what is happening after the beginning of birth pains? And by the way, we didn't talk about that, but there are false prophets many uh, leading many astray. There is lawlessness increasing. There is the love of many growing cold. There is also inspired wisdom given to Jews by the Holy Spirit to rebuke uh, the people rejecting Christ. Oh, perhaps I should backtrack now that I see my question. So, okay, let me ask another question. What commands and ultimate promise does Jesus give for the believers of that generation? What are the commands in the text? It's not all doom and gloom. They are commands. And what is the promise? So we're looking at verses 5 through 13. So at the end there, verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved? Yeah, that's that's the promise, promise of salvation. It parallels uh, Revelation 2.11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. You know, the parallel text says... Uh, um, let me see, I can actually quote better. If I read it, so the power of the text says, But not a hair of your hair of your head will perish. But just before he says, You will be put to death. So he's basically saying, the second death doesn't have any power over you. The second death is the death in hell. So he's saying, if you conquer, and John says, For everyone who has been born of God, regeneration, overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes, that has overcome the world of faith. So if you are a Christian, you have been given faith, you have the victory over the world. You will be, you are a conqueror as far as the scripture is concerned. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. So the promise is salvation. The Jews at that time, some of them, many of them, they will be martyred, they will be killed, the tribulation saints, they are going to be suffering, but they will have eternal life. And the commands are this. See that no one leads you astray. Verse 5. Do not be alarmed. Verse 7. Be on your guard to bear witness. Verse 3. Uh, verse, um, that was number 3. Number 4 in verse 11. Do not be anxious regarding what you will say. Those are the things that they are, they, they, they are commanded. And of course, there are some applications that also translate to us as well. 
uh, we are not having the same level of persecution that the future generation will have, but very same themes apply to us as well. We should not be anxious and we know that we will have salvation. So what is the name of the, the next great period according to Mark 13? To um, verse 14 through 23. Yeah, the tribulation. So it says, such tribulation, if you look at Mark and Matthew and Luke, you will see that the, the names are as follows. It's called the Great Tribulation. So before it was just the beginning, right now it's the Great Tribulation. This is where it escalates to the climax. It's also called Great Distress. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah 30. It's called the Days of Vengeance in uh, Luke 21. <clears throat> so in Luke 21 it says it tells us the sign what is the start of that great tribulation era when when is it going to start what are we supposed to look for if we are trying to know when it starts or if it has started in fact Okay, you see that? He said, but when you see. So we are in Jerusalem. We are in the future period of the tribulation of the Jews. The Jews are being uh, martyred. There are earthquakes, famines, you know, wars all over the world. There are false prophets. There are signs in the heavens. Picture this. It's, it's really uh, already tragic. But there is the great tribulation coming where it's even worse. It's the escalation of the birth pains. And he says, when you are in Jerusalem and when you see the abomination standing and it's in the temple if you compare with uh, second Thessalonians 2 and what is going to stand in the temple according to that text there is just one clue look at that verse verse 19 is it a thing or is it a person Somebody can read it again for us? Verse 19. Uh, verse 14. Uh, verse 14, Mark chapter 13. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea to so, what's going to happen in the temple? It's a someone because it says standing where he ought not to be. It's it's yeah, literally it's it's he. And so uh, let's read Second Thessalonians chapter two. <coughs> Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seemingly, seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. See the same things, the day of the Lord, the coming of the Son of Man coming, and then uh, uh, coming back, and then we see, do not be alarmed, 
We have not written to you that it's already done. Verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God proclaiming himself to be God. Do not... Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you that I told you these things, and you know that what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, that's the person we're reading about here, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill by the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. So you see that? This is exactly what we are reading right we're here. This is the coming of the well-known Antichrist. Let me read that passage again. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he, that's the Antichrist, he's going to stand in a rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. That's why the temple is going to be destroyed again. And that's why it fits into the picture that Jesus is presenting. Then it talks about fleeing. And then it says, those are days. This is a period of time. Verse 19, for those days, in those days, there will be such tribulation known as the great tribulation in 24-21 of Matthew. There will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. So the Jews are going to be, they are going to be martyred in such a way that it will not be even comparable to 70 AD or the Second World War. It will be even worse. It will be even worse. And there will be nothing like it in the future. Like I said uh, last week, it cannot be the past because uh, the Second World War was worse for the Jews than 70 AD. But then it says those days are going to be what? Cut short. So you remember, actually let's, uh, let's turn together to Revelation 11. And you see this is such a wonderful, long and... Uh, challenging topic that we are already running out of time. Mm -hmm. So we are going to look at the Revelation 11 verses 1 through 3. And before that I'm going to read you the same account that's in uh, Luke 21. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is near. Did you catch that? The abomination of desolation is mentioned also in Luke 21 as the desolation of Jerusalem. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. And he says, Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So this is the time when the Antichrist rises. Jerusalem is surrounded by armies. He stands in the temple. Jerusalem is trampled by the Gentiles. And uh, I will end on this. It says in um, 
Again, Revelation 11, verse 3. Do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave it out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. And so how long is this period of uh, the Great Tribulation going to last? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. And then it says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, what happens? Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And, and look at how people who have been persecuting the who have been persecuting the Jews, look how people are gonna react. Revelation chapter six. Listen to this, it's amazing. So we are talking about God judging the world with earthquakes and all this, and the Jews being persecuted, but the Jews embracing their Messiah. And in Revelation chapter six, when Jesus is about to come back and he sees the stars are falling off, the sun goes dark, the moon is no longer shining its light, as the text says poetically, all of that is when God judges sin on the world. What happened? Raise your hand, tell me. What happened when Jesus died on the cross and he was judged for the sin of the world? What happened? Dark. The sun went dark. There was a big earthquake. Earthquake. And there, was, there were resurrections. So when Jesus is going to come back, the very same things are going to happen all over again. And people are going to say this. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him. You watch this. The people who are unbelievers on the earth, they will say, they recognize this is the wrath of the Lamb. Can you imagine that? People who their whole life they've been denying God, they will say, fall on us to the rocks because they want to die, but they cannot. Fall on us from the face and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? And Jesus had said, you will see me seated at the right hand of the Father and coming. And so I believe the sign of the coming of the Son of Man, the sign, not of the end, but the coming of the Son of Man, is when somehow Jesus is going to open the sky and people are going to see him just like Stephen saw him just before dying. They're going to see him seated on his throne and coming back. And then we will be saved. So are you a Christian? Are you born again? Do you have faith to have this victory? Are you going to conquer? Will you be hurt by the second death? Will you go to hell? Or will you be saved? Because you will persevere till the end because you have true faith. You know, we may not be in that time, but for sure we want to be with Jesus. And so we have to have that faith. And we know that in the end, when he comes back, he's gonna make everything right. It's gonna be a glorious time when he makes his kingdom of peace on the earth. 
people on this earth, they try to make peace and safety with political things, with climate uh, uh, laws and everything. We know this is not going to cut it. You need peace from Jesus Christ by accepting him as your Savior and your Lord. And if you have peace with him, then you will have peace forevermore. Amen. Dear God, we praise you for the second coming of your Son and for the signs that will shortly precede his coming. And we pray, may he come and may justice be on your earth. Amen.